It's really a great piece of scripture for all of us, uh, no matter where we are in our spiritual journey. And I say this because no matter whether we've been a follower of Jesus Christ for many, many years, or for us, the verdict is still out. We're still asking questions about God and about faith. Wherever we might be with that, we all, we all deal with the same issues come, that come with money. And we all have the same potential for what we do with the money that, that we earn. And so if you're here today and, and uh, you're, in fact, you know, one other thing I need to mention in, in this is the passage that, that Rob read. Is that the other thing that we all face, every single one of us, is the potential of, of absolute good that money can do in our life and through us and through the lives of other people. But equally true, there's this, this potential for evil that can happen in our own lives because of money and can happen in the lives of other people through us because of that. And so if you're here today and you're, for you the verdict's out, you know, you still haven't made up your mind about Jesus Christ, whether you believe in him as God's son or the Savior and, and Lord, uh, what, I, what I'd like to ask you to do is just take what I say this morning and the parts that you find helpful for yourself, take those, take those with you and use them. And then everything else that I say this morning that you might think that today, you know, I, don't, I don't think that applies to me now at this point in my life. I'd just like you to just think carefully about what Paul writes in, in these verses of Scripture. And, and I say all of this, uh, wanting to be very upfront, that I'm 100% convinced that those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ should take every bit of what Paul writes in these verses and apply, apply to our own lives. And, and I say this, I believe this, because if, you, if, if we're going to be the, the kind of church that God wants us to be, if we're going to be generous, a generous kind of church, then every one of us have got to have this, this God-shaped attitude that Paul describes for us in this passage of Scripture. And thankfully, I can, I can stand up here this morning and I can say, boy, because of the generosity of so many of you through the years, we're able to do what we're doing in a place like the Dominican Republic right now. That's, that's how that's possible. It's because of the generosity of so many of you who are, who are part, of, part of Brookside. So what we discover in this passage is that Paul is writing to two groups of people. In verses 6 through 10, he's writing to uh, uh, people who, who, who do not have a lot of money. And then when you get in verses 17 through 19, he's writing to people who do have a lot of money, uh, people who are rich. So you've got these two different groups of people, but they have one, they have one thing in common. And Paul, as he's looking at what's what's happening in their lives, and this is why he writes to Timothy, who's the, the pastor of this church, uh, and, and he, he, he's telling Timothy to tell them what he, what he says here, because what he sees in both groups of people is that they've got this obsession with wanting to have more money, to the, to the point where it, their, their discontent is, is not only limiting to their own life, but has gotten to the point, potentially, of being destructive for each one of them. And so this, this is the kind of trap that they're walking into, and it's equally deadly for both of them. So what I'd like us to see today is that this is a trap that it's possible for every single one of us to, to, to walk into, and then I'd like us to see how we can escape 
this kind of a trap in our own life. This is so important to see. Because the trap we're talking about is one that can keep any one of us from a life of generosity. And I would just say, that's not a life that you want to miss. I mean, that's a life that gives you joy, and that's a life that can have such a positive impact on so many other people. So it's not, not the kind of life to miss. So first of all, let's look at the trap, how money can become a trap. And so Paul writes, again, verse 9 and verse 10, he said, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now don't misunderstand what Paul is writing. The problem here isn't money. The, it isn't even having a lot of money. In fact, nowhere in this passage and Nowhere in all of Scripture will, will you ever find God saying that a person shouldn't become rich or if somebody is rich, that they should stop being rich. So that's not the issue here. The problem is loving money. It's being obsessed with money, with having more and more money. That's the trap that Paul's warning us to, to guard out for, to, to watch out for. And what he's saying is, is it's a trap. He's saying it's a trap that's going to lead you into three great dangers, all three keeping you from a life of generosity. So the, the danger of greed, the danger of arrogance, and what I'm calling the, the danger of a misguided hope. So let's look at each one of these. First of all, greed. Have you ever, have you ever read an actual, you know, like a definition of greed? Have you ever heard? It defined, I, I found this one, I think it's, I think it's really good. It's, it's living with the assumption that everything placed in my hand is for my consumption. I think that's pretty good. You know, it's, it's the assumption that if you put it in my hand, it's all for me. It's for me. Now, Paul points to this as one of the dangers of, of loving money. So, again, he, he writes this in verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The, the word desires in that verse uh, actually means excessive desires. It, it, it has the connotation of addiction. And I think we're all familiar with that, an, an, an addiction the thing about addictive drives is that they have a tolerance effect on our bodies. Uh, a drug, for example, can give you a, a sense of well-being. It can give you a high. But as time goes on, your body begins to tolerate it. Your body gets used to it. And you have to have more and more of that drug in order to get that same sense of satisfaction, that same high. Well, money has the same potential. The thing that money can do for any one of us and what makes it dangerous if, if we're consumed with having more of it is that it makes it possible for us to be addicted to the desire for more things. So here's how this plays out. Let me just describe this for you. When you make more money, you're able to buy things that you could not afford before. 
things that are luxuries because you were doing just fine. You were, you were doing perfectly well before you had them. But the tolerance effect is that you get used to them. And what happens very quickly, and it really doesn't take long at all, is that luxuries become necessities. And things that you once were able to do without, now you are thinking that you can't do without them anymore. And you find yourself needing more more things to give you that, that same sense of satisfaction, that same feeling of satisfaction that you once had at a certain level. And it's, it's really quite a dangerous trap to walk into. And, and I think that's why Jesus said what he did in, uh, uh, in, in the 12th chapter. We talked of, of the Gospel of Luke. He talked about the danger of, of money and greed. And he, he made this statement. He said, watch out. He said, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And then he gave the reason why. He said, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. He's saying, you're not, you're not really going to find true satisfaction in having a whole lot of things. And so he said, be on your guard against greed. Be on your guard against greed. The truth is... I think you might agree with me. It's so easy not to know that you're greedy. It's something that's easy to be blind to. You know, I thought about this. In my, in my 38 years of, of being a pastor, I've had people tell me that they, they, they struggle with a whole bunch of things. I've had people tell me that they, uh, they struggle with lust, they, they struggle with anger, they struggle with resentment, they They'll say, you know, Steve, I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with worry in my, my life. But as I thought about this and, you know, all the list of things that people have told me that they struggle with, I got to tell you, I have never had anybody come to me and say, I'm a greedy person. You know, I just, I, I cannot remember a time where I've had somebody say, you know what, Steve, I spend way too much money on myself. I can't remember anybody saying that. It's so easy not to know that you're greedy. And I believe that's why Jesus said what he did. We, you and I, we, we do need to watch out for it. We've got to be on guard against it because the consequences of it are so very serious. Paul's right. It can be so destructive. It can trap you in a rat race of having to earn more and more, all to keep up this lifestyle that you've set for yourself. And, and all the while, you, you, you have this sense that you've, you've got yourself in, into some kind of a, of a trap. And very often, very often what you do is you sacrifice relationships that once were so important to you. You, separate a, you, you, you sacrifice a whole bunch of other things that you know are, are far more valuable than things, but you just somehow can't give that up. And most damaging and serious of all is losing the close connection that you once had with God, as Paul described it, wandering from the faith. The second danger that comes with loving money is arrogance. And Paul writes this, uh, he's now speaking to the second group of people, the people who've got a lot of money, the rich. He makes this statement in verse 17. He, 
He said, command those who are rich. Let me, let me just stop there a minute. You know, sometimes I, I think that there's a lot of confusion amongst us. You know, uh, who, who really is rich? What does it mean to be rich? Who's actually rich? Gallup poll, Gallup did a survey not too long ago where they asked this question of people. The question is, what is rich? What is rich? And it came back that the average American thought that if you made $150,000 a year, then you were rich. Then you were rich. Now, I could be wrong, but my guess is if, it, if you went out and you asked somebody who made $150,000 a year, you asked them, are you rich? They would say, who me? <laughs> no, I'm not rich. Now, I'd, I'd have to make that much money before I'd be rich, and they'd give you some kind of a, some kind of a number. The interesting thing about this, I discovered, and this is a fact, okay? If you made, if you make forty-four to forty-five thousand dollars a year, you're in the top one percent of wage earners in the world. Top one percent. I mean, that really puts it all into perspective, doesn't it? It, it makes us all realize that we're a whole lot richer than we thought. You know that the, the truth is. The truth is, there are very few of us, if any of us, in this room today who are not rich. And it's just true. So here's what Paul, Paul said to you and, and to me. He said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Why would Paul say this? Why would he say this? I think he's saying this because of what he's seen happen more than, than a few times when a person becomes rich, there's this inclination toward becoming arrogant, right? Thinking that, that, when, when you're, uh, thinking that your IQ goes up with your income. Thinking that the richer you are, the smarter you are. You know, it, it doesn't always happen that way, but it happens enough, evidently, for Paul to give you and to give me this command that we don't become arrogant when we become rich. So how does this happen? How does it happen that we could become arrogant when we become rich? I think it's this way. When you begin to move up the ladder, when you begin to be successful financially, it's very easy to generalize your success into all areas of life. It's, it's easy to think that you're an expert in every area of life because you've, you're an expert with money. See, not always, but very often wealth tends to make you overconfident of your knowledge and of, of your understanding about what makes life a success. You know, I just thought of this. You know, sometimes I think we, we, we play that up for people. It's like we almost set somebody up who's rich, you know, where they, they walk into the room and it's like everybody's in awe of them. You're like, oh, the rich person's here now, you know, and everybody hangs on to every word they, they say. Have you, ever, have you ever seen that happen? And you know, what, you know what's so tragic about this? If we become arrogant. Any one of us, if we become arrogant because of the money we've got, one, one of the things that's so sad about it is we, we lose our teachability. We, 
and, 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 and we, we lose our, our willingness to take criticism from, from other people. And what's really sad about that is the, the richer you become, the less you're concerned about other people criticizing you. It's like, I don't care. You know, I don't, I don't have to bother with other people anymore, what they think of me. See, it's a deadly thing. Because what happens if you lose, if you're not a teachable person, you stagnate and, 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 and you begin to decline as a person. You don't grow in character. Arrogance is truly a very dangerous thing. To lose perspective on who you are, I, I think, is one of the worst things that can happen to anybody. And what makes this really dangerous is this twisted perspective where in your arrogance, you begin to think, and any one of us could think this way, I earned it, so I deserve it. I deserve it all. And, 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 and when you think this way, then you, you'll never become a generous person, and, and you'll miss out on the greatest opportunities that you could ever have in life and all the joy that comes with that. So I think we're very wise. Wherever we are in our spiritual journey, whether we have a relationship with Jesus Christ or we don't have a relationship with Christ, I think we're very wise to, to hear what Paul says here because it, it's true and it, and it applies to all of us. Great wisdom. I, I love this uh, quote from one of the early church fathers. He said, to see a man and a, a woman humble under prosperity is the greatest rarity in the world. You know what? Let's be the exception to that. Okay? Let's be the exception. Let's have that kind of humility that God calls us to have as followers of Jesus Christ. There's one more danger that Paul points us to. It's what I'm calling the danger of misguided hope. And again, verse 17, this is what Paul writes. He, he said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. And then he said, here's the part, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Paul's saying, when you start to have more money, something begins to happen to your hope. And very often you don't even realize that it's happening. It's, it's not a decision that you purposefully make, but, but as your wealth increases, what you hope in begins to change. You, you begin to hope in the accumulation of your money, of your wealth, and, and Paul's saying that's a very, very dangerous thing. The writer of Proverbs made this observation about wealth, and he was a very wealthy man. This was Solomon. He said this, it's so true. He said, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you begin to imagine that there's an amount of money that if you could ever accumulate it, your walls would be so high, you would be so safe that you would be able to protect yourself and your family, your children, even your grandchildren, and perhaps even your great-grandchildren. Which begs the question, how much money, how much money would you need to accumulate to secure your future against all imaginable eventualities. Well, let me ask it this way. 
How much money would you need so that nothing could touch you or your kids or even your grandkids? How much money would you need? I think here's the answer. More than you currently have. In fact, I would say that's always, always the answer that you would have. More than you currently have. You know why? Because there's always the what if. The what if. The what if. You see, the truth is, when wealth becomes your hope, you will feel compelled to hoard. And hoard's a different thing than saving. You'll feel compelled to hoard. There will never, never be enough. And three tragic things will happen. Your money will become a substitute for God. You will always live in fear. And you will never become a generous person. You will never experience the joy that comes with generosity. Loving money, it's a treacherous trap for all of us. It's a dangerous thing for us to be obsessed with having more money. So how do we escape it? Well, we're going to talk about this more next week, but I want to look at two powerful ways that come out of these, these verses. The first is trusting God, and the second is the discipline of contentment. So let's look at this. First of all, to trust God. I love this. In verse 17, Paul said it this way. Again, the whole verse, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, let me, I'm, I'm asking questions, so let me, let me ask you another one, right? When you come to the end of your life, down to the final hours of your life, what or who will be your hope? Will your hope be in the dollars that you have in the bank? Or will your hope be in God, the creator of the universe? You know, I, I've got to tell you, you know, in, in my 38 years of being a pastor, I, I, in all the times that I have been with people in the, in the final days and the final hours of their life, I have never, ever had somebody say to me, you know, I'm concerned about how much money I've got in the bank. Never have. But what has been concerning for people is their relationship with God. I mean, without exception to that. So here's my big question. If your hope is going to be God in the end, why not put your hope in God in the middle? If your hope is going to be God in the end, when there's absolutely, you have absolutely no control of what's going to happen, why not put your hope in God in the middle when it's equally true that you have no control over what's going to happen? I love what Paul wrote in verse 17. It's so true. He said, put your hope in God who richly provides you with everything for your enjoyment. Here's what he's saying. Why put your hope in the provision when you have the opportunity to put your hope in the provider? Why spend a, a lifetime accumulating a number of dollars that, that you think will protect you from anything that could ever harm you? And that's not true. 
Why would you do that instead of putting your hope in the creator of the universe, almighty God, who can truly protect you and care for you? So here's, here's what I hope that we'll all walk out of here today believing and, and saying to ourselves. And I, I'm just going to ask you if you read this with me. This, say this with me right now, okay? I will not place my hope in riches, but in him who richly provides. So now, you know what? Um, even if you don't believe it yet, you can lie for a minute, okay? So let's all say it together, all right? And let's just say it like with a lot of feeling in ourselves, because this is, this is powerful stuff right now. Okay, so let's say it together. I will not place my hope in riches, but in him who richly provides. All right. So to escape the trap, first of all, trust God. And then I love the second one that Paul gives us uh, in verses 6 through 8. He's, it gives us this discipline of contentment to practice. And it's so, it's so practical for us. So he writes this. He writes this. He said, godliness with contentment is great gain. In fact, the word gain there means mega gain. It's like gain beyond anything you could ever possibly imagine. So godliness with contentment is mega gain. And then he said, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Some scholars believe that Paul was actually quoting from, from Job in the Old Testament. Remember when Job lost all of his possessions and People told him that he should curse God and just die. And, and one of the statements that Job made was, he said, I came into this world naked and I'm going to leave this world naked. That's, ex that's exactly what Paul's talking about there. He's talking about our, our vulnerability when we were born and our vulnerability when we die. Okay, and, and, and so he, he says that we, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. And then he said this, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. That's just, that's so practical. It's a discipline. It's living with this awareness that when we came into this world, we were so vulnerable, and, and when we're going to leave this world, we'll be equally vulnerable. And knowing this is true, practicing, practicing this discipline of not making life all about yourself. You know, where... You, you, you practice this contentment of living with less instead of pursuing more. Where your joy isn't based on what you have, but it's based on your, your relationship with Jesus Christ and what you can give to other people. So, wherever you are on, your, on this economic scale, I mean, here's the, here's the discipline, here's the challenge. You never let luxuries become necessities. And the more you go up in the world, the more money you have, the greater the distance between how you could live and how you do live. I got to tell you, if there's ever a God-shaped attitude toward money, this is it. And it's so exciting to think of what God can do through one person who lives with this God-shaped attitude toward money, how, you know, how much joy that person can experience and how much that person can help another person. It's exciting to think of what God can do with a church 
that's filled with people that have this kind of generosity, this God-shaped attitude toward money. I mean, it's just endless, the possibilities of what God can do through us. So right now, you might be thinking to yourself, boy, Steve, I want to be that way. I do, but man, I'm, I'm in this trap. I'm, I just don't think I've got the strength to do this. I don't think I even have the desire to do it. I got to tell you, I'm with you 100%. I, I really am. I struggle with all these things that I've talked about this morning. It's the same challenge for me. And fortunately, this isn't, this isn't something that you and I have to do in our own strength, but we can do it in the strength of Jesus Christ. I think Paul said it better than anybody. In his letter to the Christians living in Philippi, when he said this, he said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I, I know what it is to have plenty. He said, I've learned the secret of being content in, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he, he nailed it. He said the most important thing we could hear. He said, I can do all this. He said, not in my strength, but in him, through him, who gives me the strength. That's it, everybody. We don't do it in our own strength. We, we can never do this in our own strength, but we can do it knowing who Jesus Christ is and knowing the relationship we have with him and knowing that he promises to give us all the strength we need for whatever challenge we have in our life, including <laughs> the challenge of not falling into the trap of loving money, being obsessed with money, and more and more. And then there's the support of other believers. You know, being in relationship with other believers and, and where we're encouraged to live this way and they'll pray for us and they'll hold us accountable in, in every area of our life, even including what we do with the money God gives us. That's one of the reasons I'm so committed to doing everything I can to get fellow believers, each one of us, to be in relationship with other believers in a small group setting, whether it's, you know, in a, in a men's small group or a women's small group or a couple's small group. Now, I got to tell you, this is not a setup, okay? When, when I um, found out that we were going to be uh, showing this video and talking to you about the Connection event coming up on August 17, where you can get into a small group, I said, I asked Rob, can we save it to after the sermon? Because it just fits so well. Because of how much I believe we need each other to be in relationship with each other, to live the life that Jesus Christ wants us to live. And so um, I'd like you just to watch this video. And um, uh, I say it again, we have a connection event coming up on August 17. Great opportunity for you to plug into a group but let's watch this video i think it's it's really fun it's very good and then rob's going to come and lead us in a closing song of worship okay thanks everybody